The World Tomorrow. Herbert W. Armstrong brings you the plain truth about today's world news and the prophecies of the world tomorrow. And greetings, friends. This is Herbert W. Armstrong with the good news of the world tomorrow. There is going to be a resurrection of that old Roman Empire. Not very many people believe it. Because people have gotten completely beyond really believing that the Bible means what it says. You're going to have to live and see it, and you're going to have to know that God was speaking when he said this thing is coming. Even those that profess to understand the Bible prophecies don't believe it because they don't understand. Well, now we've been in the 50th and the 51st chapters of Jeremiah, looking into the future. A number of other world events, world-shaking events are going to happen prior to this, but we're getting on over just prior to the second coming of Christ, and when communist Russia is going to be rolling over this revived Roman Empire that is called by the symbolic name Babylon in the Bible prophecies. As the daughter of the ancient Babylon of 600 years before Christ, it's the daughter and it's spoken of in the feminine gender always, because there is going to be a union of church and state, and the church is going to sit on the top of the heap. And so, here we find, coming to verse 34, that's where we were, We've seen what's going to happen. Babylon soldiers are going to cease to fight. They say inside their forts their strength is gone from them. They are weak as women and so on. And we were reading that in the preceding program in the 30th verse. And here in the 33rd verse, Jeremiah 51. For this is the sentence of the Lord of hosts the God of Israel. Babylon to be trampled like a threshing floor, then trampled like the grain upon the floor. And I think that's exactly where we ended in the preceding program. Now continuing with verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has been devouring us. He set us down like an empty cup. Now this is picturing Israel speaking here. Israel speaking of how this king of Babylon, and of course here it goes back to the Nebuchadnezzar 600 years before Christ, as it has a number of times using what happened to the Jewish people back there as the prefigure, as the type and the prediction of what is going to happen to us now. It was merely the foreshadowing event. There is type and anti-type. There is a duality principle in the prophecies of God. Literally, however, in speaking of our time now, and I've shown you so many places, it's the time of the great exodus under Christ back to Palestine, an exodus so great that they will never remember the exodus out of Egypt by, or under the hand of Moses. And this will be at the time when Christ leads Israel and Judah back to Palestine. As we read back here in chapter 50 and verse 34, that the world may live at peace, as it will, after the second coming of Christ. It's the time when they will look for the sins of Israel and Judah, and they'll find none, because the deliverer shall have come to Zion and have turned away ungodliness from Israel and from Judah. And God is going to make a new covenant with his people. And our people are to be converted and begotten of the very Spirit of God and made his own people. They're going to know that he is the eternal. So here they are, pictured as saying, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has been devouring us. He set us down like an empty cup. He swallowed us up like a monster. He gorged himself with our delights. And then he threw us aside. My torn flesh be avenged on Babylon. That was Israel's cry. Let those who dwell in Zion cry, 
My blood be avenged on the Chaldeans. Let Jerusalem cry, and here is the Eternal's answer. I will take your part, says the Eternal God. I will avenge you. I will dry up her lakes and drain her springs. Babylon shall lie in ruins, a mere haunt of jackals, a horror and a scorn where no man lives. I will dry up her lakes. Is that referring to the Mediterranean? Does that mean that after the second coming of Christ and through the millennium, that the Mediterranean Sea will be solid land and people will dwell there? Babylon shall lie in ruins, a mere haunt in the jackal, a horror and a scorn where no man lives. My friends, you're going to see that happen, and nobody's going to live in the territory of this coming to be resurrected Roman Empire for a thousand years to come afterward. Now, let's go back here just a minute. Israel has cried here, My torn flesh be avenged on Babylon. And then let those who in Zion cry, here are the saints, the people in the church now, let them cry, my blood be avenged on the Chaldeans. Let Jerusalem cry, let my blood be avenged on these Chaldeans. Now, my friends, does that remind you of anything, if you know your Bible, and if you have been reading it, over here in the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation, where we come to the great tribulation. The great tribulation is pictured here in the sixth chapter under the fifth seal, and beginning with verse 9, Revelation 6, the first four were the four horsemen of the apocalypse. First was the false preachers, the false Christ, and the false preachers preaching a false Christ. And the second seal then was the red horse that is war, and the third seal, the black horse that was famine, and the fourth seal, or the fourth horseman, was pestilence, the pale horse. And now, the world wars have already started. And uh, the next thing to happen at the very beginning and approximately at the same time as uh, uh, World War III or the third phase of the World War, when it comes, will be the famine and the pestilence. And after that comes the Great Tribulation. In, and as a part of World War III. As a matter of fact, World War III is bringing that Great Tribulation. And I've been reading to you, it's the time of Jacob's trouble, and Jacob means our people. And it's a national time of trouble on our people, and Christ is going to deliver us out of it, as we've been seeing. And uh, it is this modern Babylon, the daughter of the ancient Babylon, that is going to put the uh, yoke on our neck, that Christ will break at his second coming. Now, here are the saints, pictured in verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain. That's already happened now. For the word of God and for the testimony that they held. Here are the martyrs of Jesus. Here are the ones that had been put to death in past years by this same symbolic battle. Because we read over here in Revelation 17, where it describes this Babylon, and the name is called Mystery Babylon, the great in verse 5 of Revelation 17, and verse 6 says, I saw the woman, it's the daughter of the ancient Babylon, this is a woman, I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. She had them put to death, but she didn't kill them herself. No, the military, the government put them to death. Now then, here we find the souls of them that were slain way back there for the word of God and for the testimony which they held, the martyrs. And they cried with a loud voice saying, just like Abel's blood cried to God from the ground. And God spoke to Cain way back there in the time of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. 
And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Now they knew that vengeance is God's. God says, Vengeance is mine, saith the eternal. They knew that these judgments are coming on this Babylon. They had read this book of Jeremiah. They knew what was in the book of Jeremiah. And uh, much of that is repeated here in the 17th and 18th chapters of Revelation, the 50th and 51st chapters of Jeremiah, the 47th and 48th chapters of Isaiah. And uh, here we find in Revelation 18, Therefore shall her plague, speaking of Babylon, come in one day, death and morning famine, she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication with her and lived deliciously with her, she's committed fornication with them, they shall bewail her and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And it's the judgments of God on her. Now vengeance is God's. And the last plagues, my friends, the seven last plagues are coming at the very time of the second coming of Christ. Because they are to be poured out in the presence of the Lamb of God when he comes as the King of Kings at the second coming of Christ and the presence of all the holy angels. And you read in Matthew 25 that the holy angels come to earth from heaven at the second coming of Christ. There you read Matthew 25 and verse 31, that when the Son of Man shall come in uh, all his power and his great glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit on the throne of his glory. And all nations will be before him. So the angels are then coming at that time. Well, now they knew that these judgments of God are to be poured out at the time of the second coming of Christ. And it was the time of the day of the Lord and these last plagues, these last judgments on this modern maiden Babylon, this daughter of the ancient Babylon of old 600 years before Christ. And so they asked, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Doesn't that remind you of the way David cries out as you read in so many of the Psalms? David had asked God to do something and God didn't do it right away. God didn't answer his prayer right away. And so he said, oh, how long, O Lord, holy and true, how long before you're going to answer me? How long before you're going to deliver me from my enemies? It seemed to David that God would never do it. You know, you read in the book of James and the New Testament that the trial of your faith, the testing of your faith is given to work patience. And we need to develop a lot of patience. God doesn't always answer our prayers just the minute that we ask him. We're inclined when we pray to God, like it is to many do, say, right now, Lord, right now, I want you to jump when I crack the whip, Lord, I want you to do it when I tell you, do it right now. You know, God isn't going to answer that way. God has not told you when he's going to do it. He's made you thousands of promises, the things he'll do, provided you conform to the terms and conditions that he lays down in his word, and God will do it, and God wants you to come to him and bring your troubles to him, and ask him for the help that he has promised to give you in thousands of promises. So many, many things that we need so direly in our everyday life that God has promised to give us. He will answer the day of miracles. It is not past. It's only past for scoffers and skeptics and unbelievers. And you know God performs these miracles nearly always in such a way they aren't going to convince any scoffer or any skeptic. 
You know, God does not give miracles as the proof of the divinity of Christ or the reality of God. So many people think that the only purpose of the miracles of Christ was to prove his messiahship and to prove that he was the Christ. You know, he gave one sign, which means a miracle to prove he was Christ and only one. Why, the miracles he did were not given in proof of his divinity, because the scoffers and skeptics won't accept those miracles. They were done 1900 years ago. They're recorded in your Bible, but if you don't believe the Bible, you don't know whether they happened or not. The only way I know whether the miracles of Christ happened, whether he walked on the water, whether he healed the sick, restored the dead, whether he turned the water into wine, whether he filled the storm, whether he really did those things, the only way I know and the only way you can know is if you really believe that the Bible is true when it says so. Now, you've got to find another proof that the Bible is true rather than miracles. You've got to find some other proof that Jesus was the Messiah. And he gave just one proof. And that was that he'd be three days and three nights in his grave. And you know that nearly every professing Christian in this world denies that one proof that God gave, or that Christ gave, that he is the Messiah that was prophesied to come. That he would be three days and three nights in his grave. Well, if you doubt that, if you don't understand how he could be three days and three nights in his grave between Friday sunset and Easter Sunday morning, you better write in for our booklet on the resurrection. That'll straighten it out. You have to do a little second grade arithmetic, and it's just that simple. A little child can understand it. Yes, God has hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. So if you're a babe at heart, you can understand and if you don't understand, the one so proof that Jesus gave and how he was in the grave three days and three nights, you better read this book on the resurrection. It's amazing. Because he was really not crucified on Friday at all, and he did not rise from the dead on Easter Sunday at all. It's really quite shocking. But it's all factual, and it's all carefully documented, and it's according to your Bible, and you'll find it there. You write and get the book, and it'll show you things and where to look, and you find things in your own Bible that are going to astound you that you didn't know were there. That is, I'm assuming you haven't already understood it, as I know many of you have, of course. Well, now, here are these people. How long, O Lord, holy and true, these martyrs, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood? Like David cried, how long before it'll happen? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet a little season. Where are they resting? Why in their graves? And the hour is coming in which all that are in their graves, that's where they are, shall come forth, and shall hear his voice and come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. So, in speaking of only those that have done good, and come forth in the resurrection of life here, and it was told that they had to wait a while until something else happened. Now, what else is going to happen? Until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed, yet that happened, as they were, should be fulfilled. Now the time setting of this book of Revelation is our time now, and it's just in the future. It's coming just ahead of us. Well, now there they are pictured as crying out, and right back here in Jeremiah 51 where we were, here it is again. Israel crying out, my torn flesh be avenged on Babylon, but Israel expecting God to do it. And then, those who dwell in Zion, in other words, the saints are crying, My blood be avenged on the Chaldeans. Because God is going to take this vengeance. It's the plague, of the, the last plague that will come, some of them just prior to the second coming of Christ, and the seven last plagues at the time of the coming of Christ. Let Jerusalem cry, and here is the Eternal's answer. Here's what God says of the Eternal. 
This is Christ's answer. I will take your part. I will avenge you. I will dry up her lake, Babylon's lake, and drain her springs. Babylon shall lie in ruins. Now, with her springs drained and all the water gone, my friends, there'll be no rain or there would still be springs and, and, and uh, lakes and, and rivers and water. It means that that portion of Europe that is here included, and I do not feel that it includes all of Europe, I don't believe it includes northwestern Europe at all, but the portion of Europe that will go together in this thing, and I'm not going to try to name specific nations or set boundary lines, but that portion of Europe that is here prophesied and is in your Bible. You may not have the same translation that I'm reading, but it's in your Bible. And they're going to have drought. They're going to have it for a thousand years, and no man's going to live there. Babylon shall lie in ruins, a mere haunt of jackals, a horror and a scorn where no man lives. It's going to happen. As certainly as you're grabbing a breath of air, as certainly as the sun rises and sets. The Babylonians all roar like lions, growling like lion cubs over their prey. Aye, that's what God questions. He, in other words, he says they do that, do they? Then God says, I will feast them in my fury. Now the fury, the day of the Lord, the day of his anger, the day of his fury is the day of these last plagues. The day of the Lord is the time that comes after the tribulation. Don't you read in Revelation 24 and verse 29 where it speaks of the great tribulation. In the 21st and 22nd verses, in verse 29 it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be dark, the moon will be, uh, well, like blood, it won't give off the light, but it usually does, and the stars will fall from heaven. Now back in Joel 2.31, you read that that is going to happen before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So the terrible day of the Lord comes after these heavenly signs, which in turn come after the great tribulation. So this is speaking of, of the wrath of God, the wrath of God, the fury of God. The day of the Lord, the plague, the vengeance that God is going to take on this evil power that is now rising up in Europe and that we're actually aiding and abetting and helping to rise up. Oh, God, open our eyes here in the United States to see what we're doing. Now, God answers, and uh, he says, they're, they're roaring like lions, are they, these people? Yes, they're going to do a lot of roaring, too, and you're going to be dumbfounded when you see it come up in the next five or ten years, as you certainly will. God says, I will teach them in my fury and uh, make them drunk and stupefied until they sleep the sleep that knows no waking. In other words, that's eternal death. That's eternal punishment. And the wages of sin is death, but it's the second death from which there'll be no resurrection. He calls it here, sleep that knows no waking, but it's eternal death. That's exactly what he's speaking about. I will drive them to the shambles, like sheep, like rams and goats. The shambles are the meat markets. What a downfall for Babylon. The splendor of the world surprised. Ancient Babylon was the splendor of the world. And I tell you this thing, when it comes up again, my friends, it's only going to last a very, very short time. It's already being plotted and planned underground and undercover. It's coming up in Europe, my friends. And it's going to be a thing that will have carnal and material and national glory. And they're going to have great splendor. But all that splendor... And all that glory is going to be dashed down and quickly, because Christ is coming to do it. What horror in the world at Babylon's fate! A sea has burst on Babylon. She sinks below the roaring tides of water. Her towns lie desolate, or her cities. 
unpeopled, waterless, a waste where no man lives. You see, drought, absolute uh, desert it will become. None passes through, and I will punish Bel in uh, Babylon, forcing him to disgorge his plunder. Prisoners shall uh, uh, stream from him no more, for Babylon's walls are down. And then he says, come out of her, my people. This whole Babylon, actually, my friends, it's a way of life. It's a type of civilization. It includes the military idea. It includes the political ideas. Of course, we've got different political ideas in the United States, but yet the principle is the same, my friends, in a way. Every, oh, our government is so, so different, and all that, and so much better. That's not exactly what I mean. I don't know whether I can express it, but it certainly is not the government of God. And what we behold on the earth is government of man, by man, for man. And uh, the ideas of man, instead of the governments of God, and the gospel that Jesus brought was the government of God over mankind. God is the supreme ruler. So we try to rule ourselves. Now when it comes to man ruling man, there isn't any question about which is the better government. There are two other very fine governments on earth. The Canadians have a very fine government, and, well, and the British along with them, and the Swiss. You know anything about Switzerland? So far as uh, human-devised government is concerned, they have a very fine government, too. Now, we don't like Nazism, and we don't like uh, communism, and we don't like some of those kinds of government because, uh, well, uh, if you're going to consider nations like uh, animals of the forest, well, they're the wild animals that want to spring on us and devour us, where we're more like sheep that want to be tame, and, and uh, we don't have designs on other nations. At least, apparently, we don't right now, and we think we don't anyway. And uh, at least we, we think we have very altruistic uh, uh, feelings toward other nations, and generally we do, although we're at one another's throats among ourselves here in the United States, and trying to beat one another in every deal we can, get the best of everything, and make all the profit we can. And there's more crime in our country than any nation on earth. Just get the statistics. The uh, government will furnish them for you. You'll find them in some of the almanacs, and you'll be pretty much surprised at what you find. Well, now we are in the ways of Babylon, my friends. Even though some of the variances here are a lot better in the United States, but nevertheless, we are in the ways of society that God condemns as Babylon. And God says, come out of her, my people. Save your lives, every man of you, from the eternal's burning wrath. That certainly is the day of the Lord. Now let's go right back here again to Revelation 18, where that is quoted word for word. And it's speaking of this modern Babylon that is rising up, that is going to fight Christ at the second coming of Christ, will be ended at and by the second coming of Christ. And here it is in verse 4, I heard the voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. It's speaking about Babylon. You find Babylon mentioned in verse 2. That's what it's speaking about all the way through here. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. My friends, you're going to receive these very plagues of God if you don't come out of the ways of Babylon. And here it is, back here in Jeremiah 51. Verse 45, come out of her, my people, save your lives, every man of you, from the eternal's burning wrath. That is the plagues of God that he's going to send, that you be not a participant in those plagues when they come. Listen, God is promising you protection. God is promising you that no plague will come in your dwelling if you surrender your life to God. If you seek Christ with all your heart and all your mind. If you're obedient to God. If you're living 
by every word of God. You're studying the Bible, not for argument, not for just interest, but to show yourself approved unto God, to be corrected and reproved by it, instructed in the ways of righteousness by it, to live by every word of God. Then, my friends, God promises you absolute and utter protection from all of the things to come. My friends, we're living in the ways of Babylon today. It's the way of society that just grips this whole American people of ours by the throat. It's the way we think is good. It's the way of this world. And it's the way of the whole world, the whole Western world today. It's the way that God calls Babylon. And it's confusion and it's abomination to God. And it's time we come out of it. It engulfs our, our whole social fabric, political, economic, religious, everything. We're in that kind of a system. God help us to wake up. I know we think this world's a pretty nice world. It's a pretty good world. We love this world. My friends, if we love the world, the love of God is not in us, and we've got to wake up. Well, that's about as far as we have time to go. I tell you, my friends, these are warnings of God, and these are prophecies for this very hour, for our generation, for our people. Jeremiah didn't write that for the Jews way back there. Jeremiah was writing this, and as a matter of fact, this part of Jeremiah was written after most of the captivity. Of course, it happened in different stages and over different years. It's for our people, and it's for now, and it's God's message to you. For more information, please visit our website at www.coglittleflock.com.